Well, hello and welcome to the True Turf Super Series. Um, today we are joined by Jordan Fairweather, who is the Cluster Director of Agronomy for Amar Properties and Troon Golf in the Middle East. Jordan, thanks for joining us. Hi, Nick. So, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, excellent. Um, I got the pleasure of meeting Jordan a few weeks ago with travel opening up and got to visit him at the Montgomery Club in, uh, in Dubai, which looks sensational. Um, so, Jordan, tell me a bit about the current facilities you've got. You've got three courses to manage. Uh, must keep you very busy. Yeah, um, golf right now is busy in the Middle East, um, you know, uh, post-COVID. So golf courses are all extremely busy. As we all know in the turf industry, there isn't such a thing as a day off. Um, the three properties um, which I'm overseeing here all have their own unique character. Uh, we've got Arabian Ranches Golf Course, which is a true desert-style golf course. Um, not much rough. Um, basically, the fairways go right out to the desert edge. Um, we then have the Montgomery Golf Club, where you find myself today, which is one of the older golf clubs in Dubai, which at 20 years old might sound young yeah. to a lot of golf clubs, um, but it's actually one of the older clubs in town. Um, big footprint of turf out here at the Montgomery. And then the, the newest one to our group is Dubai Hills, which is a much more modern design surrounded by housing. Um, and it's just been with us now for, for four years. So between the three properties, we're, we're actually managing multiple turf types as well. We've got both Bermuda and Pospalum between them. So how does that, from a from an agronomist perspective, um, obviously there's a lot of work for you behind the scenes managing the team because you can't be everywhere at every time. So how do you go, do, go keeping, a, 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 I suppose, across and the top of all the things that are happening across the three properties? Managing to, to go between the three properties, as you said, you can't be everywhere all the time, you know, seeing all the small details, you know. So, so ensuring that all three teams, plus myself, if you like, call it four teams, um, are communicating um, daily. Um, you know, what's happening, you know, what challenges you might have seen, you know, even just asking each other for support, um, you know, having the right templates, standard operating procedures in place. Um, obviously, there are a lot of similarities between the courses, you know, with the machinery they yeah. use um, and things like that. But obviously, then when it comes down to maybe some of the, the fertility programs are, are tweaked um, and adjusted um, based on the, the turf type that they're managing. So uh, I try and spread my time you know, one to two days a week on, on each property, you know, depending on the needs of the of the property and the, the support that I can give the, the on-site course manager. And you've had a, um, a good journey, I suppose, and I'll touch on that now uh, in turf and agronomy and, and started at uh, Loch Lamont in uh, Loch Lomond, I should say, in, in Scotland a number of years ago. Um, that must have been a, uh, you know, a magnificent facility to, to work at. Yeah, that was, uh, I would say, where, where I, I learned my trade as such. Mm. And we've all got that one property where, where we learned a lot from, you know, and that was one property that back at that time was very forward thinking. Um, going from what was probably the wettest golf course in Europe to I'm sitting in probably one of the driest regions <laughs> in the world. Um, it's, it's, it's quite quite uh, ironic. But yeah, after leaving Loch Lomond, um, I actually did come out here to Dubai um, in Abu Dhabi and, and built so two golf courses here. Um, yep. And then since then, I've, let's say, worked in a few different countries, um, including uh, Bulgaria and Eastern Europe, which was obviously yep. cool season. 
um, Bahrain, the island of Bahrain, um, which is between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Mm. Um, I then found myself out in Asia, um, working at the Ells Club there with 72 holes um, out, out there in, in Asia. Um, back to Central Europe, to Prague in the Czech Republic. Yeah. And then six months ago, I found myself back, back, sort of my my first move abroad, back, back in Dubai. So, you know, seeing, you know, different grass types, different cultures, um, while traveling, you know, it really opens up your eyes. And you know, the the turf world, the greenkeeping world, you know, there are opportunities out there to to see the world. Um, and some of the the tips and tricks you pick up from each mm. country. At the end of the day, the basics of managing turf grass are very similar around the world. It's just that, you know, how you go about doing those basics within the environmental constraints or maybe the the constraints put on the teams um, on, on each property, you know, having the monsoon season with Bermuda, Tifigal Greens in Asia, and then you have Tifigal Greens in, in Dubai or without monsoon season. So it's completely same grass types, but yeah. different environmental factors. So, um, you know, I think, you know, if I could sum up working around the world, three things that I have found common across the, the, the range of properties and, and regions are, you know, water quality is becoming a, a, a big challenge for, for turf managers, whether it be availability or just the quality of it. Um, sand, again, is becoming, you know, less quality sand is, is becoming less available. Um, so you know they're, they're two of the the main things you all you always uh, have to have to deal with, and then the third one would be um, the whole world is, is is trying hard to reduce pesticide usage, so we're having to find other ways and other means to to deal with that. So there, there are a lot of common things, even though there's different regions and countries. You know, you've worked in so many different places around the world, and you know there's obviously things that you can bring from other courses, but. Uh, uh, but as you say, it's all nuanced down to the location you're at and how the turf is going to react in that location. I suppose in Dubai now, you talked about those three things being um, uh, water and sand. You've got probably less water, but lots of sand, but not the type of sand you probably want. Um, so how do you manage those extremes, I suppose? Because you've, um, I'm not going to call Scotland extreme or, or those things, but you've certainly got an extreme band of temperatures and other things that you're operating there across your current courses in Dubai. So how do you manage that from a you know a day in day out uh, aspect of, of managing the facilities as well? Yeah, to, to be honest, I would say the one constant that, that you're always monitoring out here would be water quality. Um, you know, we t- we take water quality tests on a monthly basis um, from from our supplies. Everything is based around water, so our you know fertility programs will be adjusted based on on the, the water quality that's coming into the property. Um, but to be honest, the, the basics of turf management are very similar. Um, you know, your aeration practices, you know, your new program, your your top dressing programs. Um, obviously, you, there, there's other curveballs thrown in, as in each country. Some countries deal with flooding, some deal with high salinity. Um, you know, we, we get sandstorms out here. Uh, you know, as you said, there's plenty of sand out here, but unfortunately, it's not beneficial to turf grass. Yeah. Um, too fine, high, high in salts. Um, so really, you know, we, we start with the basics on all our, on all our properties. You know, we, we do a soil test, we do an organic matter test, and we do a water test. And when you have the results of those three, um, it's monitoring them throughout the year and then creating your program to, to to cover that. So, you know, we we have guys out there every morning, you know, with with these new moisture meters that are on the market. You know, moisture, salinity, um, temperature. You know, and we're we're adjusting. You know, so really, ir- irrigation is obviously a big one for us. You know, um, 
flushing salts and doing flushing programs, but what you've got to remember is that the water you're using to flush the salts is also full of salts. So right, sounds okay. a bit um, sounds, sounds a bit crazy at times that you know um, that's that's what we're doing. But yeah, so you know, really, it's, there there is much water management um, projects as they are just um, turf related. You know, the the man hours and um, costs, uh, budgetary costs that you're you know using are you know it's one of your highest line items as your as your irrigation. Uh, I'll I'll share your social channels as well, so people can give you a follow because you've been posting some good stuff uh, across those those channels. I did notice recently that you were talking about some of the testing that you're doing um, and the results that you've been able to achieve out of using that data. I suppose so. These days, data collection, as you've touched on, then is is so crucially important to allow you to plan. So, you know, I suppose you, as you said, you're keeping that on a on a monthly, probably daily basis as well. So, how do you then go ahead and, and crunch the numbers and, and make the decisions you need? to make to, to get the golf courses looking as good as they are? Yeah, well, for, for me, having been back here now for six months, I told all my course managers, you know, mm. in theory, we need a year's worth of data before we can, you know, really be accurate with our with our programs. So we'll be, you know, we don't have a program. We do have a, a set our program, obviously, for the year, but we're adjusting that program all the time. And I think, we, you know, the, the old days of, well, we always aerified on a Monday or we always applied this every four weeks, you know, are, are gone. Um, whether your, your calendar might say you need 12 applications a year, but you might need 11 or you might need 13 now. Um, and using that data. So, for example, let's take flushing programs. You know, you can see when we apply, say, a gypsum, a calcium sulfate, or you know, uh, a calcium flush program on, on the greens, and the next day you see the results. What is your threshold? You've got to know what your threshold for everything is, whether it's disease tolerance, weed tolerance, or whether it's um, th- things like you know your EC levels and, and, and monitoring. What what is your personal? And every golf course can be different. Two miles, two kilometers down the road, um, your tolerance can be completely different. So knowing where the threshold are for your property but you, you've got to have that years worth of data in my eyes under your belt so you, you can make justified decisions and then you know okay we're, we're, we're at our threshold again but we weren't due to apply I'll use gypsum again as an example for another two weeks by our proposed program um, well no we have to move that two weeks and then when you do have to discuss that with maybe it's a finance manager, um, you know, he's questioning why why you had to put an extra application on this month when you've got the data. It's it's, it's very hard for them to, to argue with you. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, now it's very important these days. And so we talked about your start at Lachlan, but what got you interested in in working in the turf industry? Um, I'm not sure if I, it was fortunate or not, but uh, my parents actually moved house and moved next to a golf course. Right. Um, you know, and I sort of, as a young kid, started taking up the game of golf, enjoyed being outdoors. You know, I, I think you find a lot of people in the turf industry are there because they really want to be outdoors. You know, they're outdoor mm-hmm. sort of people. Um, and then once I got more involved in it, it was, you know, and I, I learned more about the industry, it was my my theories of how far can you push it you know what level of expectation you can can you take it to you know there's some amazing golf clubs around the world where they put on amazing um conditions and, and there's some clubs i've got big budgets but there's also some clubs out there around the world that put on equally amazing standards and they don't have big budgets and how are they doing it they're doing it with data they're doing it with and i think for me you know every every day every week every month you know, always been saying, right, what can we do better next month? You know, we, we were good last month. How can we be better, you know, and then next month again? Um, and how far and what you can do, you know, with with pushing 
the, the turf grass and pushing the um, golf course to the next level is probably something that's always kept me motivated and always kept me, you know, in, in the industry. And um, I always remember being back at school and um, telling the telling the teacher that, you know, I, I'm thinking of doing this qualification in, in golf course maintenance. She thought I was crazy. No, that's, that's not an industry. It's just grass cutting. It was back then, you know, how, how they looked upon it. And I would love now to be able to go back to her and say, well, look, I've, I've lived in seven different countries. My family have been able to see different parts of the world. You know, I've made a nice living out of it. Um, you know, so there's a lot in the turf industry that, um, you know, if, if you're willing, willing to travel, willing to explore, there's um, a lot can keep you, you know, certainly kept me over the years. The time seems to have flown by being in the industry and it's a small industry at the end of the, end of the day. Um, you people you meet from all over the world, um, contacts stay there. And, yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, a combination of all those things that's kept me motivated and kept me uh, um, involved. Yeah, no, that's an exciting story. And uh, as you said, with the number of countries you lived in, but for those that are wanting to get into the golf industry, whether it be management or from a turf management perspective, there is so many opportunities these days um, to be able to follow a dream, I suppose, or follow a, an interest and, and see where it leads you. Sometimes it's not just actual turf management. Um, I feel there's a lot more industries available. You know, one we've been talking a lot about at the moment is um, golf course mechanics, tech nations you know there's a lot of guys who maybe were car mechanics motorbike mechanics but maybe they're leaving school and wanting to get into an engineering trade and they've never actually thought of well we we, we need those people in turf we need those people in golf courses you know um so there's a lot of a lot of i would say associated industries and certifications out there that would be great to get more people into um into the turf side of the industry well, the people are so important. You can get the right people doing the right jobs. Um, as you said before, you're looking at that continual improvement program that you're looking to put in place. Well, that's something that excites you about the industry. By having the right people, right jobs, um, doing the right things, then you do have that nice pathway to continual improvement. Because expectations, I suppose, are very high amongst the, the golfing public or members these days. And uh, I suppose it's how you then can temper that expectation with the reality. So. You know, you're managing some some very you know, beautiful locations at the moment, and I'm, and having had a look at your history as well, some of those golf courses from uh, uh, conception to what they are now are, are, are first rate. So, how have you been able to manage that that golfer expectation, or certainly owner expectation as well, versus the reality of what you've got to do on the ground? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, expectations from golfers, um, what they get for their membership or the green fee has certainly come a long way um, over the last few years. They certainly expect a lot higher standard, but they, I would say they also expect consistency more. Um, you know, we're used to having good greens for two weeks of the year, maybe, you know, during your open week back home, certainly in the UK in the summer. And now golfers are expect, a, a, you know, a high standard every day. I suppose it's just like the hotel industry, you know, you know, when you, what type of hotel you check into, the standard you want to expect, whether, you know, it's your, your five star or your um, travel in at the airport, you know, you know what to expect. And, and that's that's um, with our golf courses, what we have to do, be consistent with that standard. Um, obviously, we're so we could be partly to blame because as we push our own standards and push ourselves every day, you know, with all the new technology that's come on the market, new machinery, new turf grass varieties is, is probably one of the biggest ones that's um, really helped us move move forward. Um, new irrigation systems, um, things like that, you know, have really helped us take the golf courses to the next level. Comes with that, obviously, a cost. 
um, owners, obviously, at the end of the day, um, are always, you know, let's, let's be honest, always want to squeeze the pocket as much as they can. Um, and they, they expect uh, their guests to have, have a, a high standard um, of product, but also at a reasonable cost. And I think that's, you know, one of the big things I've looked at over the last few years is being more efficient with your programs. Being what, whatever we do on the golf course, trying to, trying to, you know, any additional costs we take on, whether it's extra man hours or, or doing tasks that little more often, it's getting more out of them, getting more for your dollar as such. So making sure that we're more efficient, making sure that we're getting more and more out of each of those dollars we spend, whether it's man hours, whether it's fuel, whether it's machinery usage, whether it's buying a product. So, um, yeah, it's certainly, um, you know, golfers certainly come to expect more um, on a consistent basis. Certainly true too if we're about rolling perfection these days and providing that consistency across the greens. Um, from a, a greens rolling perspective, you talked about how you may only bring greens up a number of years ago for a couple of weeks of the year. Um, what part does rolling or greens rolling play in the preparation of your courses? Yeah, um, quite big these days. You know, I would say that, you know, 10 years ago, even when I was in the industry, golf clubs, you know, might have just been buying rollers, um, using them once a week, as you said. Now it's something we can't go without. You know, we, we use true turf rollers four to five days a week on all our properties. And it's not just for speed. I think when rollers first came out, everybody was, you know, oh, let's, let's get a roller to increase speed. Um, but as you said earlier, as expectations have moved on, it's to have that trueness in your surface, um, to have consistency every day. Um, and then bringing back the efficiency, you know, we're maybe managing now combination of plant growth regulators and rolling to not have four guys out walk mowing greens in the morning. We can get the, we can provide the same surface, um, maybe even better at, at times by just sending one or two rollers out. So all of a sudden there, we're being efficient, we've got two less machines out in the field, we've got two less uh, head count out there in the field. So. You know, we're managing to provide, uh, produce, sorry, surfaces to, to our members and guests um, by still being efficient by using, you know, these rollers. Um, nowadays, I think most of the machinery, and including rollers, um, they're seen as not just a tool for, you know, as we said, rolling for green speed. What, what are we using them for? You know, we use our greens rollers on more than greens. We use yep. them to roll newly newly sprigged areas, you mm. know, get them back in play quicker, rolling newly turfed areas. Um, you know, I often see the guys out with the greens roller in the afternoon on the back of a cart. And, you know, what are they using it for today sort of thing, you know? Yep. Um, Sunday night, great example, we aerified the greens on Sunday night. Um, after the last last group and the two turf rollers are out there on on Sunday night, they were yeah. double rolling the greens behind the very drain, so the greens are back in play on a Monday morning. If we want to cut greens on a Monday morning, we don't need to worry about maybe the plucking from the aerifier because the rollers have been out there; they, they've, they've got it back back mm -hmm. there. Um, one thing at a club I was working at a few years ago was we were doing firmness readings. Um, you know, and I think you know people who've maybe not used greens rollers before think, well, you know. They imagine rolling is compacting. They maybe think of other sports where they're based on clay and they're, you know, they're, they're rolling for different reasons. But for us in golf, it's sand-based greens. Sand-based greens don't compact. Um, they're designed these days not to compact. So you can put that greens iron, greens roller out on your, your green seven days a week, 14 days a week if you really need to. Yeah. You're not going to see any, any compaction. So we don't need to worry about that with these rollers anymore. Um, these rollers are, are, are being used as a tool for, for, for us for, for, for so many so many um, different reasons. You know, we're, as you know, we're, we're trying to order some more 
right now to add to our fleet because we don't we you know we would hate to um get to the stage where we've, we've you know they're getting old now our current yep. fleet um we don't want to get to the stage where you know we don't have enough of them out there because we're they're, they're used every day they're just yeah. out every day so um for, for as something. you say it's uh, um more than just speed these days it's the the maintenance programs uh and especially as you, you touched on earlier before about um you know cutting down on pesticides and and uh you know other side other Things around diseasing greens, uh, the ability to keep rolling the greens certainly does help uh, that disease management on those putting putting surfaces. Yeah, yeah, sure. And you know, we've we've all read the research. You know, I think it was Dr. Tom Nicolai was the leader over in the states there about it. You know, and we've read it in the GCSWA magazines. In you know, we I think we always ask ourselves, well, you know, how accurate is this in, in real life? Mm. And I've seen greens myself where you go out there. And one meter off the green, you start to see disease. Or one meter off that green, it just doesn't feel quite, you know, the, the, the turf, especially with our warm season grass, might feel a little bit puffier. Mm. Why is that? Well, it's because the greens roller is going off the green. You know, obviously he's, he's changing direction off on the collar or a meter off the green, he's coming back on again. So the benefits are seen so much on that collar that, that we've spoke about moving into some of our runoffs, you know, and start to use the... The, the greens roller on some of our runoffs around greens, you know, to, to bring the design intent back into play more. You know, we don't want to cut more. There's no more growth out there, so we don't need to cut. Um, start rolling some of these areas. We've even, you know, as we discussed the other week, talked about, you know, certainly for certain grass types to move into fairway rolling. So yeah. we're seeing the benefits on the green. We're seeing the benefits on that one metre around the green. So should we be now as turf managers working out the cost to be more efficient, you know, we're going to use less fungicide. You know, mm. we might not instantly be able to record that number, but after a year or two years, oh, hold on, we we apply two less applications. Yeah. Um, so again, keeping that data that we talked about earlier on and moving some of these uh, rolling practices into other areas of the course, I think could be something that certainly comes into my properties with the paspalum. We're certainly mm. going to be be looking at that over the next twelve to eighteen months and seeing what um, what benefits we can we, we can see from that. Yeah, and what made you choose? Um, you know, True Turf. We, we've rubbed deliver six new rollers to you recently, but what, why is True Turf the roller of choice for, for yourself? For me, not being out there every day, I need to know that there's something that's reliable in the background. And uh, I've used other rollers on the market, and uh, I'll be honest, they've done a job. But there's with other brands, I had noticed when we put new young operators on them, when they changed direction, we had some black marking, we had some some damage. We never see that with the true turf. Um, we always ask feedback from the operator and the mechanic. Um, you know, the mechanics need to be saying, you know, are these easy machines for you guys to work on? If if you need to work on them, you know, how, how many man hours are you working on them? Well, not very often, apart from servicing. Um, but also the operator, you know, we, we've tried this whether it's tractors or greens rollers, you know, we've demoed two or three different ones. And the guy, the guy's always come back in saying, so easy to change direction, so easy to manoeuvre, sit around a bunker, so easy to um, the, the drive on them as well. As I said, I've never noticed any new marking on slopes or with, with new operators versus some of the other, the other uh, rollers that I've used in the past where they've been changing direction quickly. So to me, it's, it's knowing that when I'm not on this property, I'm on another property that I'm not going to come in and, you know, a machine's in the workshop under repair or there's marks on the green, you know, having that um, comfort factor that, you know, the machine you've chosen and, uh, you know, the operators are happy and they're, they're getting the job done with that machine uh, goes a long way. Well, John, one final question. I suppose it's a little bit of a, 
a look back um, for you. I, you know, you've, you've had a wonderful journey so far in turf. Um, if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice when you were starting in the game, what would that be? A little curly one to finish. Only one piece of advice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure, there's, sure, there's lots. <laughs> that might be a whole other interview. <laughs> oh, there's there's a question. I, I needed to throw the curveball in there. Yeah. Um, one, one, one piece of advice. Well, people say I'm calmer now than I used to be. So right. maybe taking a maybe taking a, a those years ago, you know, taking a step back way, you know, mm-hmm. rather than always just you know when when you're pushing to to make things better all the time and you're yeah. you're, you're you know you're you're, you're self motivated. Sometimes you you know a strength can become a weakness um, as such. So you know maybe taking that step back at times. No, that's a, that's a good maybe, answer. A yeah. wiser head, a wiser head on young shoulders always helps out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, very good for sure. Well, Jordan, thank you very much for your time today. Um, we've really appreciated it. And I know, um, uh, you know, just from my interactions with you, that you um, are very open for people getting in touch with you and finding out information. So I'm sure if people have got some questions for you, they can reach you on the social channels. But um, good luck with everything uh, across the EMR properties and with True and Golf. And we thank you again for your time today. Thanks, Nick, and hope to catch up again soon. Good on you, mate. Thank you.